0: Designing and Building a Better Data Governance Approach. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Lauren Maffeo, author of the book Designing Data Governance from the Ground Up, an adjunct lecturer at George Washington University. To be clear, she was only representing her own views on the episode. So here are some key takeaways and thoughts from Lauren's point of view. Number one, in governance, a very easy way to go down a bad path is to not automate your standards. Making governance an easy aspect of data work for, you know, everyone involved will go a long, long way. Number two, potentially controversial, as an industry in general, data governance maturity is still at the infancy phase, and the pace of maturation in data in general, and especially data governance, is far lower than other aspects of software, like, you know, cybersecurity. Number three, the majority of organizations are not mature enough with data governance to get a lot of value from things like machine learning or NLP or natural language processing. Number four, data governance best practices are hard to come by. There isn't really even a large community specific to data governance for people to easily exchange ideas. Number five, if the number one cause of cybersecurity breaches is employees, Is the number one cause of bad decisions made on data because of A, bad data, or B, employees not being fluent enough to make the right decisions? Does the second end up even contributing to the first? Because if you don't, if you're not fluent enough, you're going to be creating bad data that somebody might be making a decision off of as well. I think it's a really interesting thing to to think a little deeper about. Number six. You really have to, quote, you really have to embed data literacy into very strategic ways of communicating with the organization and educating them that way. Without that approach, I think very little progress can actually be made. Number seven, potentially controversial, it's not that hard to teach people to be re- relatively data fluent, not to a data engineer level, but investing a relatively small amount in your people can get them to a level they can at least typically spot low quality data. Now, why I mark that as controversial is because, you know, I'm not hearing a lot of people say, "Eh, we can just do a little bit of investment and get people to um, a level that's actually going to make a difference. So I think it's an interesting thing again to look at. Number eight, a potentially controversial one. Again, you can't just do data governance later and have an actual good outcome. You know, personal note, this absolutely shouldn't be controversial, but still seems to be a common pattern of people just trying to say, we'll take care of data governance later. Number nine, if we actually want to treat data as a product, that includes practices around data too. A product manager couldn't decide to put out their first roadmap three months after the product is shipped, but that's the type of thing that happens in data. Number 10, it's hard to measure the ROI or return on investment of data governance work, but it's pretty clear that the work is necessary when your data work is not actually driving the results that people want or expect. Number 11, Despite governance being crucial, you can still roll governance out in a measured manner. You can create ways for people to get used to the idea of, you know, a policy or, you know, a standard or anything like that. Get used to the idea before rolling it out. And it isn't as if day one, you know, everything changes. It can be a gradual process that adds value and not, you know. Not complications, not many complications. It probably will add some complications, but it's more about reducing friction. Number 12, embracing a fail-fast culture in data will probably be hard, but it's absolutely something everyone should do. Make the, the kind of quote-unquote failures small and contained. Limit the blast radius, as, as Wanya Seth had said in a previous episode. But still, failing fast, Lauren said, is, quote, the essence of innovation in tech. Number 13, look to leverage sandbox environments to try out new approaches to governance and get stewards used to something new you will be asking of them. A new policy or tool doesn't have to be a sudden light switch flip. You can get them used to that in that sandbox environment and they can play around and figure out how do I actually leverage this and implement this. Number 14, quote, we also can't afford for leaders of any department to not know what quality data looks like for their teams because their success, the success of their teams depends on having quality data that their customers trust. I think that's a, a great quote. Number 15, potentially controversial. Data mesh is a risky endeavor. Do it in a small scale way and keep it very cost contained as you test if it will work in your organization. I think this is something that comes up a lot and I'd love to dig deeper into it. I think you'll you'll hear something from me on that um, in a future mesh musing. number 16 and finally, for driving data literacy or data fluency, gamification really can work. look to make learning about data a fun and gamified experience. OK, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very very excited for today's episode.'ve got Lauren Maffeo here who is the author of Designing Data Governance from the ground up. Um, so to be clear, she's only representing her own views and not uh, anything from her employer side, but we're gonna be talking a lot about you know what the topic of the book is like what how do we get to a good state when it comes to data governance and what is the good state what is good enough for now what like we're never Done evolving, that's kind of a major theme of data mesh. Like, how do we think about that with data governance where we can get to comfortable of what's actually okay for right now? And that it's not always there's so much more that we could be doing, but like what's what's good for now? And that there's already this aspect in of companies dealing with too much data. So when you think about data mesh, that's just yet additional work. So how do you clear some of their slate to be able to do that. How do you think about not disrupting your day-to-day and putting yourself further behind as you're trying to ramp up on something like data mesh? How do you think about selling the the ROI of data governance and, you know, how we really think about data governance as the cultural change improvement rather than, or how we need to think about that rather than just the technical aspects. So, but before we jump into that, Lauren, if you don't mind giving people a bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Sure, thanks so much for having me, Scott. I'm really excited to be here. As you mentioned, my name's Lauren Maffeo. I published my first book, Designing Data Governance from the Ground Up with the Pragmatic Programmers in February of this year. I am, by day, a practicing service designer for a government contracting firm here in Washington, D.C., where we apply human-centered design to various design and technical projects for our federal government clients. I'm also an adjunct lecturer in interaction design at the George Washington University, also here in DC, and I'm on the editorial board of Springer's AI and Ethics Journal, which is the first multidisciplinary peer-reviewed journal on the subject of AI and ethics.
0: Awesome, yeah, you got quite a, a full plate for yourself. Um, so, why don't we start with that? I mean, this is something that's super crucial to to data mesh, but when you think about where companies are with data governance versus where they want to be and where they feel they should be and where they feel they need to be. So, you know, the book is, you know, building this from the ground up, making sure that you're kind of evolving and that you you don't think about um, today, you you don't have the building built and tomorrow you have it built. You have to build up that foundation and, and do it the right way. So like, how are you thinking about having that conversation with folks to get them comfortable around this is a journey, this is a roadmap into getting to the right thing and how do you help them set where they want to go rather than just here are 17 things that you need to accomplish versus here's what you want this to look like and why and then we can work back into uh, like actually how we can get there.
1: Well, I just got back from the Open Source Summit North America in Vancouver, uh, which was hosted last week by the Linux Foundation. And something that struck me during that conference is how it reinforced that we are still in the earliest stages of not just data maturity, but even being able to have the conversation about Data governance and even more quote unquote advanced technical topics like data ops. As one example, I attended the same conference, the same venue five years before, and there was very little mention at that conference of open security, of, 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 container security, supply chain security as it pertains to open source. The conversation around security five years ago was very immature. And since then, we've seen the number of cyber attacks increase exponentially. There have also been many uh, security breaches which made the news, which forced developers and technical teams to work over holidays to compensate. And one of the end results of all of that catastrophe with cyber is that the Linux Foundation now has a a project called OpenSSF which is devoted to cybersecurity in open source so that shows me that the conversation about security has advanced rapidly over the last 5 years and i am not seeing the same pace of conversation regarding data and data governance uh, and more Disturbing than that is that I'm not seeing that maturity in conversation about data mesh and data governance. Meanwhile, the volume of data produced has continued to rapidly increase. The number, the amount of data sources that companies ingest from has continued to increase. But fewer organizations than ever say that they are a data-driven organization or that they have reached their ideal state of data maturity. And so we are very much still in the infancy of having this conversation. And I told a reporter at the summit that I really think it's going to take a catastrophe of some sort in order to get the tech world and mass to care about data governance to the degree that it should. uh, Because unfortunately, it does tend to be quite reactive in terms of when big initiatives get pushed forward. It's usually in response to something that can no longer be ignored. And I still think that when it comes to data maturity, the vast majority of organizations are not mature enough to be doing the really advanced work with generative AI and different techniques like ML or NLP that they would like to do.
0: Yeah, and it's it's funny that even when you have like big breaches and things like that, they feel like they're big news stories until a day later, right? Like Equifax was kind of a persistent one. But even like Capital One, which Capital One essentially did absolutely everything correct. It was somebody, there was just like these two little very tiny overlapping things that allowed one person to exfiltrate some data. But you know, they they basically had their best practices in place, and it's like you know, even with that, but you know, all these other breaches. But people then, e- e- the size of the fines are so minuscule. I mean, you almost have to have it happen to a European company because the the EU will actually uh, put some some teeth into their fines. So, um, but so one thing you said is that the within the data mesh conversation. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing governance play as big of a role or, or that people aren't really crocking it as much as they should. They aren't really understanding exactly what this means, how they have to go, like where kind of how they have to change that pace. And it's funny because when I have one-on-one conversations with people, I would disagree with that because behind closed doors, people are super concerned about this. They're, they're talking about this. But out in the open, nobody's sharing anything because they're like, I'm not far enough ahead to be able to put my neck out there because I might get it, you know, chopped off. And so that I think, how how are you seeing even the conversation around how to have conversations around governance evolve? And that that's, you know, this meta obnoxious kind of thing. But like, how do you think about that um, approach to... Starting the conversation so others out there can feel like they can talk about it without putting themselves up. You know, there's this risk of, of people coming and criticizing and things like that. And it's like everybody's struggling with governance, so it's fine. But yet that's the thing that people are the, the least willing to share about openly.
1: That does seem to be a huge roadblock when I think about even communities of practice in tech. uh, And that's I mean, that's a very broad statement, community of communities of practice in tech. There are communities of practice for virtually everything in tech, right? Whether you're a CDO, whether you are a sysadmin there, it's very easy to go online and find your community and learn from that community to in a in a virtual format that could compensates for all time zones and roles and i if there is one for data governance i do not know about it i have checked and part of the reason i wrote this book in the first place was because i was working with a client on their data ops practices and i was looking for resources about how to embed data maturity into an organization so that it is truly Part of the digital transformation, meaning it is a cultural challenge to design for, not a technical problem that has a magic bullet in the form of a specific framework or role. And I wasn't finding anything out there at the time. I will say that this was about two and a half years ago, and I already feel like the digital landscape has changed. At that time in late 2020, early 2021, I was not even seeing a lot of blog posts on data governance. I would go to towards data science, for instance, and see a lot of highly technical posts on very particular aspects of data science. And that is all great and valid. And those are important contributions to this broader conversation. But I was not seeing anything about how to create data governance standards, how to select data stewards, how to foster cross-collaboration between both technical and business sides of an organization. And so that really was why I wrote the book, was to get the conversation going. And I do think that it has moved the needle. I also think and hope that it's a book with a topic that is going to be evergreen. I think I got in early, and I that was re-emphasized to me by the editor and my publisher, when I shared the ma- the first chapter of my manuscript with her for review, she said, well, I'm not sure if people are really going to be interested in reading this, but we'll review it anyway. At the time, people weren't really interested in reading it. And what I say now about the book is, this is less of a question about whether they're interested in the topic or not, because eventually people are going to have to care about it. It is going to affect everyone's job. We talk a lot about in the in the culture broadly about how AI is going to quote unquote take people's jobs. And yet there's been, broadly speaking, no investment in building workforces with a basic degree of data literacy. And if and if people can't see the connection between those two things, I'm kind of at a loss because they're absolutely connected.
0: Well, yeah. And and all the LLM hype and all that stuff. Like, you know, when you ask chat GPT things and people talk about the hallucinations it has, and that it's like, you kind of need people overseeing this. You need people that understand this. You need, um, Jemak and I had a conversation about how does, um, AI and, and ML and all that play in data mash. And it's, you know, much more about the models and the work instead of, Having to do all of the cleaning and manual thing when you've got clean data and it's in the the actual format that you want, right? And people, you know, data scientists are like, I don't want my data formatted, and it's like, okay, then the format that you want is in the raw form, but you want it in the cleaned raw form, right? <laughs> and so, um, but yeah, that, I think that that transitions well into what we we're planning on talking about as well around that data literacy or, or data fluency, like how. How do you actually increase that across the organization what is effective because we've seen some people that have come in and talked about it but you know the a lot of people are just trying to throw hey uh, here take here's three hours out of your um, week carved out and you've got to take this class okay now you've increased your data fluency versus like what's actually working out there
1: right the thing I'll say about that is that we, have a lot to learn in a positive way from the cyber industry writ large. So it's not only have the number of cybersecurity attacks increased, but we know now through several different surveys that the number one cause of security breaches at organizations is employees. They're not necessarily malicious actors. And I think that's important to emphasize because we often think about breaches in the form of hackers with bad intent when that's not actually the case. And much of it is a mistake, just like bias in AI and in bad data is not necessarily intentional. In fact, most of the time, it is a byproduct, for instance, of sensitive attributes correlating with non-sensitive attributes during training. And the quality of the resulting data was poor, which resulted in in negative outcomes for users. So the intent matters. And I think the way that the security community has dealt with this problem is not by blaming or necessarily firing employees. It's by educating them on what phishing looks like, on what spam looks like, what a suspicious link looks like. And I can say I've worked for companies before where they run, un- they run unprompted tests of the workforce every couple of months to test the rate click-through rates on f- emails that are intended to be phishing emails, and if you get d- click on that email when you weren't supposed to, you are directed to complete a quick three to five minute training course, and that is logged in the HR software that the company uses. And so, this is a very low key way to build cyber literacy amongst a workforce. It takes. Next to no time. The content is digestible. You learn something from it, and it's an iterative approach, meaning it's not a 10 hour per week commitment. Throwing anybody in front of an hour long video and expecting them to become cyber literate is not going to work. Likewise, I don't believe that making a corporate video about what data governance is and forcing people to watch it is going to work. You really have to embed data literacy into very strategic ways of communicating with the organization and educating them that way. Without that approach, I think very little progress can actually be made. So
0: do you have an example of what actually does work from that? Step? Because I mean, it's there's kind of a one-to-one correlation on the phishing of like, hey, if this were malicious, you would have been fished, right? Like that would have been a bad thing. But you don't really have that with data. Or hey, uh, here's this report. Like, what what action do you want to take on it? And then they click on the wrong answer, and it goes, "We're going to teach you how to do this SQL query, <laughs> or whatever, right?" Like, I don't know. How are you seeing that that work? be effective in actually increasing data fluency?
1: I am not seeing that happen, broadly speaking. If it is happening and if readers are doing this in their organizations, I would genuinely love to talk to them because I'm looking for examples of companies and CDOs in particular who are taking the initiative to educate their workforces on the basics of data literacy. You gave the example of SQL queries in jest, but I actually do not think that's a bad idea. Part of the problem with data is that folks who are not data scientists or data engineers often have this idea that the work is quote-unquote above them, meaning it's over their head and it's not something that's intuitive for them to understand. The reality is actually the SQL in particular is not very difficult to use. And if you take a very iterative approach with it, you can teach people to write SQL queries. And that's a really valuable skill no matter what your job is. I would argue that it should be a skill that anybody in a senior role where they ingest and produce data should have. Uh, And that's something that I would encourage people to incorporate into their data governance program. So that's one of many examples of how that could work. Another example could be a suspicious number Or statistic in a Tableau dashboard. Tableau dashboards are accessible to folks regardless of role. And so understanding what quote unquote good data looks like or more specifically what quality data looks like, meaning can you look at a a data source and figure out if it's fit for use for its intended purpose, or if you would need to investigate the quality, because that's a big issue is there is a lot of bad data out there, meaning the quality is so poor that the data is not actually fit for use. And yet it is ending up in dashboards everywhere. So this is something that's really important. And uh, and I would encourage CDOs to really get creative about how they can educate their workforces.
0: And like... Uh, You know, a couple of people have come on and talked a little bit about their programs. A lot of them are doing just these boot camps, but that they're interacting with actual data. They're actually doing the things, but they are pulling people out considerably or, you know, HelloFresh long time ago on the meetup talked about they've got a program that's kind of gamified and things like that. But it does seem like it's really difficult to teach people in that small incremental way you know like i am moving to the netherlands so i'm learning dutch and so um duolingo is i'm kind of positive and extremely negative on it because it keeps talking about uh my rhinoceros all the time and it's like i don't need to learn about rhinoceroses on uh how to say that and everything but um they're small little lessons and so i can choose how much I, I consume of it and you know i can do just two or three in a day or i can do you know, 10, 15 in a day, or there's been some days when I've done 25 or 30 in a day because I'm, I'm prepared for that and I want to focus on it and and do that. Have, have you seen people do, because I'm trying to not just say like, what do we need to do or what do we need to accomplish? But it seems like this is really difficult. Have you, have you seen anything out there about people actually chunking this up into small enough pieces? Is this kind of the Udemy model where people, where you just kind of reinforce the same things over and over or
1: I think it depends on what the end goal is and whom you're actually trying to reach. There's a difference in using a wide education program for everyone to make them more aware of data quality and give them a higher degree of data literacy. If you are recruiting data stewards who can serve as the owners of their data domains for data mesh architecture, as one example, that's very different. And in that regard, you are looking for people who already have Good familiarity with data and a high degree of literacy about the data in their particular domains and subdomains. So, as an example, your VP of sales would be, in theory, the ideal person to serve as the steward of the data in the sales domain because they would be able to give a clear view of the subdomains. They know what data is coming from inbound leads versus outbound leads. The success of their their role depends on how well they can work with data. And they have vested interest in making sure that their data is correct because that impacts their quarterly quotas. So I think the more that we can show people of all roles that data is something they should have a vested interest in because it impacts their job and their ability to do it well, the more headwinds we will make. The other thing that people say often when I bring up roles like VP of sales is they ask about the non-technical aspects of those jobs as if you are going to deploy your VP of sales to start building your ETL pipelines. And that's not the case. The case in that regard is that the VP of sales is serving as the data steward of the data in that domain, which means they are responsible for the quality, they make decisions about it, they define particular terms for the data catalog, and then those standards that they create for the data in their domain are what gets automated throughout the architecture. And so that's where you have the business knowledge coupled with the technical team's knowledge.
0: Makes sense. And yeah, I think it's, it is it is tough to, because governance is so nebulous in a lot of ways. It is, and like I kind of hate data governance in a way, and I don't think anybody should do data governance because data governance itself doesn't make sense because it's so many different practices that are all incredibly important, and just kind of lumping them in the other category means that you're not giving them the prevalence that they that they need in and of themselves, and so it becomes this real big challenge. You know, um, talking with Jamak about. When she put out her first article, she kind of had three principles. And then in the second one, she really added the the governance and she added the governance relatively early in a lot of our presentations after getting feedback, because all these people were like, well, what about governance? And she just kind of was like, well, that was a given. So I'm going to make it something that is, um, you know, very explicit. But of course, we need the governance. Like, of course, we need to do this in, in an appropriate way. And that kind of feels like one of those things of a lot of governance aspects aren't said out loud. And so like, but it does make it very, very intimidating for these non-technical folks. Do you have kind of any good advice for bringing those folks in and getting them so that they're not quite as scared of this, that they're not going to be building the ETL pipelines?
1: Well, so I want to go back to something because it's interesting to me that, that she and presumably you think that governance is a given to the point that you don't have to emphasize it because I have found the complete opposite. I have worked with CDOs before who have said... In so many words, we will do data governance later. we'll build this MVP and then we'll we'll do gut go- we'll do governance we will redesign this user interface at f- where we are showing unique data points and we'll do governance later. So it's very interesting to me that there are even people in this space who think that governance is a given without defining what it actually means for their organization because, what I'm finding is that people rush to the end without that foundation of governance. And then they wonder why none of their models work or why their projects failed or why they had to lay off a team because their, their project was scrapped because it didn't perform. Those two things are correlated with each other. And if you do not invest in defining what governance is in the context of your organization and what you're doing, then nothing else will really work.
0: Yeah, I think anybody coming from the software world into the data world is super shocked by those types of things because it's like, well, this has to be table stakes. How is this not table stakes? And then yet, it it somehow people haven't focused on it as tables. You know, you look at uh, um, the API revolution, everything like that. There's um, uh, all these zero trust architecture type things and all this stuff around how do we actually make this secure and how do we make sure that only the people who have access and what access should they have and what's um, PII and what's not and all that stuff is just kind of built into the way that everything works. And yet data has just kind of smeared it on the end, at the end of projects, at the end of even, you know, anything related to data, it's just smearing the governance on top of it. And that's why governance becomes a gate because all this work wasn't done be before. So then the people at the end are like, well, but this is, doesn't work. So yes, we become the gatekeepers because you didn't do your work appropriately. So it's it's just an interesting thing coming from other spaces to find how broken data is around governance.
1: And and not only that, but, w- but what you were saying about roles and, and responsibilities and coming from other areas, the analogy I use is that there are If there was a product manager who said, I will write my product strategy after we ship Q1 of the roadmap, they would be fired. If there was a VP of sales who said, I'll figure out what my quarterly quota should be in March, like they would be fired. There's no other area of tech that I know of that is so loose when it comes to what we expect. And I still am not honestly even sure why that's the case. I think there is still this halo effect around big data and the concept of big data, which means that if you have a certain title or role, you are kind of given the freedom to execute it however you see fit, even if it is not in a strategic way. But what I would argue is that there's no other job on earth that is given so much leeway and more leeway than it should be, because everyone else is held to standards of excellence that the data world today is not.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, I think that's a really, really good way of putting it and a really, like, interesting insight into something that has been kind of confounding me. So I um, But one thing that you wanted to talk about um, was around um, selling the ROI of data governance. So it is kind of that I think. And why don't we talk about that in general? But also the and to be clear, if anybody doesn't know, ROI is return on investment. So you know you're spending on data governance. So there's a clear return if you're doing it right. But like, how do you think about having that um, that return? on shifting it left within the process, shifting responsibilities left and and that as well to get it so that we actually aren't just doing it at the end and going, okay, we need to apply data quality at the end instead of it should be, be, you know, it's easier to prevent dumping in the river or to keep the water clean by by preventing the dumping than it is to clean out the stuff that's been dumped and pollute the river. Like if you just didn't ever pollute it, then it's easier to keep it clean. (laughs)
1: Well I really think that data governance needs to be a top down effort not just from the most senior data leader in an organization but also be from the CEO down um so what I mean by that is if you are a CDO you are responsible for setting a budget you are responsible for finding the right tools to execute your data strategy, which you are also responsible for. And you need to assemble the best team in order to fulfill that strategy using the toolkit that you have. And so when it comes to return on investment and what that looks like for data governance, like many things in this space, it. It in theory is nebulous, but I think people overcomplicate it because really, once you've established your data stewards and you have established a data governance council. With a charter explaining who owns what and what you're going to work on, then you really want to apply that shared responsibility to a, a business critical project. And you want to start with one project because you want to see what works and what doesn't before you apply all of these standards to various projects or models, whatever it is. You want to start small and experiment. and And I, I don't mean that in a cavalier way. I mean that you want to invest in in thinking of it as an MVP, and figuring out, and then giving people access to a sandbox environment where they can explore what this what this governance looks like in practice at the organization, figure out what doesn't work before deployment, and give people the freedom to fail. Uh, the book talks about an example of that at Netflix when they were moving onto streaming architecture for the first time, and something that really stuck out with me was how the lead of that engineering team created space in the architecture in a sandbox environment where his team could experiment with Kafka clusters because they did not have experience with them at the time. So he knew that if they deployed right away, there was a high degree of failure. And so he created an environment specifically where his team could experiment Fail and then take their learnings and apply it to the actual streaming architecture, which, by the way, was very new at the time. That's the other thing I'll emphasize is that I don't know any other org- uh, industry that is so eager to try new things. The, co- the whole concept fail fast, I, I am pretty sure, comes from Facebook. There's this whole culture around being agile, which means, in theory, trying something iterating on it. You try it, it doesn't work. You stop doing what doesn't work and you try something new. That's the essence of innovation in tech. And yet it is a stopgap when it comes to governance, even though there is so much precedent for how to do this. So yes, governance can be extensive, but we're not actually reinventing the wheel as much as we think we are. And I think that really trips people up.
0: Yeah, well, and and fail fast in data, any failure in data has been kind of catastrophic because you have these long, long lead times and you have these ever burgeoning and bloating kind of projects because people don't know what aspect is actually going to be valuable. And so they make all of these requests and then it's like, well, it didn't meet expectations. Well, if your expectations were that every single aspect of the 20 requests that you made were going to be maximum value of course it doesn't but you had to ask that because for the important stuff to to get the important stuff you weren't sure which of the 20 were going to be important and so you know that that ability to move quicker and exactly as you said i think there's this this block of agile is a one or a, or sorry governance is a one or a zero you're either doing it right or you're doing it wrong instead of we're getting better and and that iterative uh, model is, is, is difficult. Have you had conversations that, that where if, you know, listeners out there are saying, okay, I want to sell people on this iterative process for governance. Do you have any advice on specifically creating the space to experiment? Because, you know, you're talking about, well, if we're experimenting around governance, does that mean our data is going to be terrible quality? Or does that mean we're going to have terrible security practices around these things? Like, How can they gain the space to do that?
1: Uh, If someone works in a tech environment, uh, which I would imagine most of this audience does, I would guarantee that they have a sandbox, which is where the technical team goes to experiment with various stacks, software environments, pipelines before they start going into, for instance, their clients' environments to build out those Technologies on the client side. And so I would encourage people listening to look at what exists in their organization as far as a sandbox and then figure out how you can utilize that sandbox and structure it so that folks who serve as stewards can gain access to it. For and use it to for their own projects obviously cost is an issue depending on which type of sandbox you have and cost per use can can scale rapidly that's especially true for a lot of these products that are proclaiming to be low code or no code models and they're selling themselves as something that anyone can build uh, i know from experience trying to demo some of these tools that there is not a free trial and that the costs per use uh, start as soon as you you begin a trial. So that tells me that that's going to be a stopgap for a lot of organizations if they cannot even get a free demo, which is pretty much expected in the SaaS world and has been for some time. That's going to be a stopgap for people. But I will say that I think regardless of what you do have at the moment, you probably have enough of an experimentation environment to start getting people more comfortable with data governance and figuring out what works versus what doesn't before they deploy to the real environment where that data is in production. The other thing I'll say is that it's interesting when we talk about the catastrophic consequences of bad data because those are absolutely real. Uh, They exist in many forms today. This isn't a cavalier conversation or a hypothetical conversation, we see the consequences of bad data every day in various formats. And it's interesting to me because people will often use those consequences as an excuse not to try something new, not to own data, not to establish data domains. But then when you're having a conversation with them about their PII and you ask questions like, what masking techniques do you use throughout the life cycle to ensure that this so these social security numbers aren't exposed? I don't know. They can't answer the question. So they're so concerned about trying new architecture, moving to another environment, migrating from one on-premise environment to a cloud environment, and yet very basic questions about what's your PII masking policy can't be answered. That is a governance problem. And so that tells me that the catastrophic consequences are only an excuse because if people really cared about them, they would be investing it in and in, in scaling techniques to mitigate it.
0: Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense because it's, um, but but it is what's fun to focus on and what's important to focus on. And how do we bring kind of the fun into the governance aspect of something? I I've uh, I just have a lot of people who like governance are like, this is fun, but uh, for the general populace, uh, a lot of times they're like, oh no, this is just a whole bunch of rules and I have to learn a bunch of rules. Like I, I took the CFA test uh, forever ago and the, f- the first year of it, I think 30 or 40% of the entire test is around their ethics rules. And so it's, it's really, really boring just studying ethics, especially if you just kind of know general ethics and you're like, yeah, of course this isn't right. Oh, this isn't right because of this very specific reason that they tell you that this isn't good, or like, so it's it that I think has that, um, kind of overhang that that governance is a bad word kind of thing that anybody has. I mean, it just sounds like, a, you know, a governess, you know, when you think about British culture and you think about like period pieces in, in, um, British literature, a governess is a really like, kind of overarching evil figure and so of course then governance is going to be the same right
1: to an extent although governance is an established concept i mean any anyone who works in a nonprofit abides by governance i they i mean me there was a course in my graduate pro in my graduate department called media and communications governance like there The governance is an established concept. I on that note though, I will say I spoke to my editor when I was writing this book because we both agreed that there is still an aversion to data governance. There just is. And I said, What if we spoke about data ops? What if we framed it as data ops? And he and he's his response was, that is something very specific. And that is very different from data governance. It's too different for us to represent this book as talking purely about data ops when it really is a governance book. What and what my takeaway from that is is the fact that I if someone can come up with a, an effective rebrand for data governance, I think they could in they could possibly make a lot of headway. And if you there's a very clear trend in uh in tech of data data ops, devsecops, ml ops, design, I'm a service designer by trade, design ops, everything is ops. And as soon as you put that catchy phrase to it, it frankly doesn't, it matters less what it is than the fact that that automatic phrasing is going to bring certain people into the fold because they're going to be intrigued by it. And so to that point, language absolutely matters. And I Think it's undeniable that that governance has a branding problem because people have these associations with it that are not entirely accurate, or they have negative associations from past experiences. Governance is still very challenging to get right. This is a, this is a short book that I wrote. I wrote it to be short on purpose, but it is not easy work, or it's or short work. And I think that in te- that does scare a lot of people, but we've never been scared out of doing hard long necessary work before so again that does yes it is all of those things but that's not enough of a reason to not do it
0: yeah yeah i mean it's that's crucial and important and it does end up being something that adds so much more value but also so much more understanding which helps you drive even more incremental value it's not just that one use case it's it's all that's it. so um, so you know, I, I know we're, we're coming up on time. So I wanted to kind of give you the option between two different things to kind of wrap up on. One was the, like, how do you actually create space to do something like data mesh when we're already kind of awash with data or that data governance really should be much more about cultural change than improving the technical aspects, which, which would you prefer to kind of wrap up around?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I would go with The first topic, because I think it correlates with the second topic, and I'll explain why. So, when we so remind me again how you phrased it exactly. How do we carve out time for data mesh when we're already so overburdened? Yeah, we've got we don't have people
0: don't have time to do these things, people don't have time already. And so, you know, a lot of failed uh, initial data mesh implementations, you know, from a couple of years ago. It'd be that the data team would just say, um, you know, design t- or um, services team, you now own doing all this data stuff too. You you're, you just have the ownership. Go do it. And if we're already kind of too awash in too much data with too much work, everybody's already overburdened, especially with kind of layoffs and stuff that a lot of firms have gotten a lot, um, you know, have reduced a lot of headcount. So how do we actually create a space to iterate and learn and do like create the space that we need to do this well?
1: Yeah, uh, that's a a great question, especially now that that workforces are tighter than ever. I don't think we're We've had a more difficult time in the tech sector than since the dot-com crash, and that was over two decades ago. I don't even think it was this bad during the last recession. So people are definitely overworked, and they're exhausted. And that is why I push cross-functional data stewardship so hard, because the central argument of the book is that there is too much data that exists today that is being ingested today for one person or one team to own it. We also can't afford for leaders of any department to not know what quality data looks like for their teams because their success, the success of their teams depends on having quality data that their customers trust. And so nobody can afford to stay out of this work any longer. And the more that we can tie the value of data governance to people's individual roles and show them how investing their time in it, making that it a part of their job is going to benefit them and their teams, that is going to make it much more tangible. This is admittedly a really difficult subject to make tangible i often when i'm giving talks or writing give personal stories to back up the data that i have and that i find because people learn and relate to sto- through and relate to stories and data governance is very hard to be a tangible thing in a lot of people's minds. So, what does that look like when we're carving out opportunities to experiment with data mesh? I think once you have your da- your core data domains defined, uh, which means that you have identified the key areas of your business that ingest and produce data. And mapped out in a process map what those domains are along with respective subdomains, then you can go to the most senior leaders of those domains, whether it's sales, marketing, customer success. You can pitch your data your data governance council ask them to join the efforts and have more of a say in how their the data in their domains is defined and automated and then once you have brought them all together then you can start having those discussions on a regular cadence where you outline those respective standards and then start incorporating them into your data mesh architecture. And realistically, what that's going to look like right now is it should be a relatively small scale effort. Because again, this is a a risky endeavor by nature. This is new architecture we're talking about. So you want to make sure that you are working in a controlled environment that is cost controlled as much as possible. But what you can do is start building out data domains, especially if you're in a data lake, you can start Uh, assigning data to particular domains, um, each that are set up their own way. And then you can automate those standards per domain into uh, the architecture and hook it all up to a singular catalog where all of the data flows in real time. That's a very simplified way of describing data mesh, but more than anything, it emphasizes the data as a product mindset that data mesh is really about it's a fundamentally different way of looking at and managing data than the data as a service top-down model from IT that we're all more familiar with. And I think that data as a product's mindset is ultimately where we are going next. And when we talk about data mesh, it seems very abstract, very theoretical, but there... but it's a fundamentally different way of viewing data management. And I think whether you call it data mesh or something else, that's the attitude that we need to move forward. And the last thing I'll say on that front is that if you're trying to create a data-driven culture, Gamification is real. It's it's it has stuck around in many different fields and contexts because it works. And what's behind gamification? Rewards. You reward the whole idea behind it is that you are rewarding people for particular actions that they take. And so if you want to know how to create a data-driven culture, think about how you can reward your people for be for helping to create that culture. That can look like writing data management uh, functions into a job wreck and hiring for a person who has that particular skill set. It can look like giving somebody a bonus for serving on the Data Governance Council or giving them a path to promotion for serving on the Data Governance Council. If you give people very clear, tangible uh, rewards for doing this work, should that be the only reason they do data governance? No, but you are asking them to do more work. You are presumably asking them to do work that's valuable. You're trying to sell them on the fact that it's valuable. So you need to reward them for doing that valuable work. And, that, and so that's one of many examples of why ultimately data mesh and data governance are not technical problems. They're cultural design challenges to be solved because the culture that you have determines the risks that you take or don't with your architecture and your governance standards and so the two are not separate from each other they're highly correlated
0: yeah and and one other kind of angle on it that we've heard has has been useful is making sure that you're going and actually going to somebody's boss and rearranging their KPIs and like just literally clearing space on their schedule but so I'm sure there's a whole bunch of stuff that that you uh, that we we would have liked to have gotten to, but um, is there anything that we didn't cover specifically that you wanted to call out, or any way you want to kind of wrap up the the content side of the episode?
1: The last thing I'll say to wrap it up is that when I give talks on designing data governance for data mesh architecture, I always tell the audience that if you want to remember one thing from the top talk, talk, remember. To automate your standards. If governance is separate from your architecture and data environment, something has gone wrong. Your governance should drive your technical environment. And if they are totally separate and siloed, that is your first problem. Because ultimately, governance is it should never be existing in a vacuum. It should be integrated into your tech and your company culture. And if it's not, then that is your first challenge to be solved.
0: Great. And, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to kind of follow up with you. Where's kind of the best place? What do you want them following up about? And this would be a good place to talk a little bit about your book as well.
1: Sure. I'm very active on LinkedIn, so folks can find me on LinkedIn under my full name, Lauren Maffeo. I also have that book, uh, Designing Data Governance from the Ground Up, available through my publisher, uh, which is the Pragmatic Programmers. So folks can go to pragprag.com, P-R-A-G-P-R-O-G.com, and they can buy a copy of the book directly from pragproud.com. The book is also available through Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon, and independent booksellers online. So you can get a copy of it wherever books are sold. And if folks would like a special discount on the book from my publisher, folks can feel free to reach out to me through LinkedIn and I will hook them up with a discounted copy.
0: Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for uh, all the knowledge that you dropped on us today and, and a great conversation. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening.
1: Thank you, Scott.
0: I'd again like to thank my guest today, Lauren Maffeo, author of the book Designing Data Governance from the Ground Up, as well as an adjunct lecturer at George Washington University. You can find a link to her LinkedIn as well as her book in the show notes as per usual. And Lauren was uh, very kind in providing a discount code for her book. You can just check out the show notes for more details on that. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the data mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read, kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables Know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.